Hey guys, just a quick heads up. Right at the beginning of this recording, the internet gremlins did something weird. So in the first two minutes, you're going to hear some sounds kind of disappear and cut out. And then at one point for about 30 seconds, I sound like I'm screaming into a microphone. I've tried to get the audio down so it's at least listenable. But if you need to hit the jump ahead 30 second button uh, a few times there to get over it, just know that it only goes on for about a minute or two. So hopefully you can sit back and enjoy this episode, even if you have to skip a little bit of the intro. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studio. No. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. Listen up. This is Foster Care and on Paralyzed Turning. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and no Amanda. So she's out doing all the stuff she does, guys. I know she's now become more like a guest on the show than a co-host because, well, life is just busy when you have two little ones. And so, you know, we have two of them under one and, well, technically one of them's just over that. But close enough, she's still on diapers and she's still a holy terror that's just adorable for holy terrors. But, but she requires a little bit of maintenance as <laughs> along the way so today i've got a uh, a former foster mom with me and an adoptive mom and a whole bunch of other qualifications like somebody who knows a thing or two about the foster and adopting system so today we've got angie um uh, yeah you better put your last name on that i wrote it down is it it's grant isn't it yeah yep angie grant <laughs> Good. I feel like you know, I'm like I just typed that. I know what it is. I'm gonna say it wrong here. I usually try to ask ahead of time, and then I forget to ask, and I'm, I was second guess myself because I'm good at mispronouncing names. All right, so I have Angie Grant here today. How are you doing today, Angie? I'm good. I'm good. So glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. So, um, yeah, let's just start with the foster mom thing. What what made you decide to become a foster parent? Um. So uh, let's see, man, it was probably back in 2010. And I had just finished up getting um, my master's degree as a speech therapist. And um, I was married at the time, my husband and I had a biological daughter who was about 10. And I didn't really have, um, I didn't have a desire to necessarily like birth another child. But I knew that there were so many children out there who, um, you know, needed somebody to love them and take care of them, whether, you know, kind of short term or, or longer term. And so I don't know, I just, there was just something that led me to reaching out and, you know, finding out more about foster care and how I could help. Um, I always wonder, you know, I am no longer married, but I always wonder if my husband was really along for the ride or if I just convinced him or, you know, what that was all about. But I definitely... No, no, I just felt this strong desire to to just help kids who, you know, needed some love at the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, everybody has their own reason why they step into foster care. And, you know, a lot of times it comes out of a childhood experience or sometimes it's just an altruistic, 
you know, need to, to help kids. And, and so that's, that's awesome that, that you're doing it. Even though, you know, you have, you're not married any longer. Are you, so you're a single mom raising kids? Uh, yeah. So my daughter now is 21 um, and my son is 17. So um, now I'm in the process of, or I'm in the middle of helping my daughter raise her own child. <laughs> so no more um, child rearing for me, but, you know, still in the, in, I don't know, that phase of life of helping others, I guess. You know, at some point I had this crazy idea that they're going to turn 18 and leave the house and be self-sufficient. And I'm not going to be like the one actually parenting them so much anymore. And my role will be to step away more. And I'm going to say my, my, my kids didn't all follow that paradigm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, so you were, you started off in the foster, you know, becoming a foster parent. Um, let's see. We, uh, we were talked about that a little bit, but I know it also said that you were a, uh, an adoptive mom and a speech therapist and an autism specialist, right? Yes. Okay. So that's a whole lot. That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> so first off, I'm going to say speech therapist. Um, we have a friend of ours. She's, uh, she was a charge nurse on the wing of the hospital when our daughter was, was there for a while. Um, and she, uh, I got a hold of her when, when the little baby who's with us now came, um, came to our house and said, Hey, this, this little, cause she works in a NICU at, at the, at a children's hospital. I said, she's having a hard time eating. Like, well, I, you're, you're the nurse on the floor, right? I, I know that the books tell you to do this or to do that. But the nurses on the floor, like they, they, they're every day, every day in the middle of it. What do you see that helps? And her response was, she said, speech therapists are wizards. You need to get speech therapy involved. So <laughs> she accused you of being a wizard in a good way. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently speech therapy works a lot with newborns who don't eat well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, the last few years I've worked in birth to three, which I'm in Wisconsin, and that's an early intervention program. So from the child, the moment a child is born up until their third birthday, they could um, qualify for birth to three services. So I've, um, I don't work in the NICU. I've never had that experience. That would be fascinating. But sometimes um, we would get referrals for babies who had just left the NICU and need that feeding support. So yeah, it's been um quite the learning curve for me in the past couple of years, just learning how to support families in that way. Yeah. Um, if you want to come figure this one out, I'd, I'd be happy to let you because she is, what is she almost four months old? She's still not eating very well. Um, you know, she, she ended up with a G tube. And so, so we work with that and, um, it's, it's been, we thought we'd seen almost everything. Yeah. And then we had this curveball thrown at us. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I found too, I mean, um, working in the birth to three program that um, a larger percentage of children who had experienced time in the NICU were children who had also, you know, um, experienced some type of trauma or, um, uh, uh, you know, displacement from their biological parent. And, you know, that some of those things go hand in hand, you know, a child who's um, facing a, a uh, change in placement more than likely has also experienced some tricky things while they were in utero. And so that has such a huge impact. So yeah, um, that was my experience, at least here where we live is that more children in foster care that had also been in the NICU, you know, 
those yeah. same kind of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. A lot higher chances for some things to go on. And, and there's no doubt that, that, um, that there's a high, high probability that she did experience some things in, um, in, um, in utero. And so, you know, from some of the stories that, that you know, I've heard from the nurses about how her, her first, you know, month and a half was in the NICU, she, this girl's been through some stuff. So, you know, right now we're just, we're just doing what we can and, and we're going to get her to where she'll eventually figure out how to eat and, and actually decide to eat. She's the first kid I've ever met who does not seem to have a real hunger response. And yeah. I'm used to boys. Boys are yeah. hungry. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter when you ask a question, they're just hungry all yeah. the time. <laughs> I had, yeah. I, I have a couple that, you know, that are 20 in their twenties and I have what a, a an, another teenage boy and two just preteens and the question is or the answer is always yes if you ask anything about hunger they they have it so i'm 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 going through a whole new learning curve you know with with a little girl who's decided that she's really just not hungry constantly like the rest of them are supposed to be so yeah. so you guys deal a lot with that we've also dealt with speech therapists with one of our other kids when he was younger um just seeing some of the some he he came out of a traumatic background and and he had problems with certain letters which is interesting and I'm going to tell you, I'm kind of a brain nerd. I look at the brain stuff. I'm like, this is so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, for him, K's and T's were the same, you know, C's or K's and T's were all the same letter, which got yeah. really interesting when we went to church and he's telling everybody about our brand new kitty that we had in the house because he couldn't <laughs> say K's. And I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. And we're constantly telling people, yeah, we have new kittens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it took a little bit of work, but, but he got, he found his way through it. So what got you into this world of speech therapy? What made you decide that's something you wanted to chase? So, um, I started in the autism field, um, right when I was in my undergrad program, I was going for psychology and one of my classmates, you know, kept saying, you have to work at this autism clinic. You have to do it. It's such a great experience. And, you know, 20 plus years ago, autism wasn't really all that well known, and so at first I said, no, I, I think I want to get an easy psychology job. I don't, I don't know what I thought that was at 18 years old, <laughs> but um, I wanted to get an easy job in a school or something. And, um, but then, I don't know, she kept bugging me, kept bugging me. And then one day I saw an ad in a local paper where this dad had written this ad about his beautiful little four-year-old girl and how she needs people to help her learn how to talk. And she loves to paint and he put her cute little face in there and I just couldn't say no. (laughs) So, um, so I met her and then just, I just fell in love and, you know, kept asking the clinic that I was hired for, you know, I want more kids. I want to meet more families and learn about more kids. So I did that for about eight years. And then um, I, I kind of reflected back and realized that I was the most um, challenged by and intrigued by the children who had interesting feeding things going on, which is super common in autism. And then also the kids who had really unique speech patterns, which is also really common in autism. And um, so I I wanted to learn more. And um, so, yeah, so I went back to grad school 10 years after I had been out in the working field, became a speech therapist, and then as soon as, well, before I even graduated, I ended up right back in autism because I never wanted to leave the autism field. I just, um, I don't know, wanted to learn more or, you know, specialize a little bit. So I still work primarily in autism. I also, like I said, a few years ago, um, started working in birth to three as a speech therapist. So, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like my first, my first love is autism, but then becoming a foster parent, I, and an adoptive parent, I have learned so much about trauma and attachment. And so 
now like putting all of that together is kind of where that's what lights me up is just learning more and understanding more and, you know, sharing what I'm learning with other people just because you don't know what you don't know. Right. Oh, absolutely. So about 45 minutes ago, I was sitting here and talking with Amanda and I said, I read, I was reading through what you had sent me, what you do. And I said, what questions would you like to ask? And she goes, does she want to have a job as a nanny? <laughs> <laughs> so hmm, how much do you pay? No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because yeah, some of the stuff is really interesting and could be really, really helpful. But I, I was really intrigued by by the line that said, um, you know, you found out that the missing piece that you were you had with your son was not more therapy. Because I talk to people all the time about, you know, this, if you got this thing and this thing going on, you might need to see, you seek out a little bit of therapy. You might need to talk to some professionals about this. And, and I'll always bang that drum to a certain extent, you know, because quite frankly, if your kid was, was, was having another health issue somewhere, you would take them to a doctor. And so if they're having mental issues, sometimes you need to take them to a therapist. And that's just, I mean, lest anybody think that, that I'm trying to talk bad about somebody, I got a guy, right? Dr. Tom is a freaking genius. And I won't give his name or any more of his name than Dr. Tom out or his number because I want him to have time on a schedule still for me. But, but yeah, so therapy can be really, really useful, especially with kids. But, you know, you mentioned that, that what you found was that he didn't need more therapy. What he found was that when you worked on your own mindset, that was the real game changer. So what do you mean by that? So, um, so a little bit about my son. Um, so uh, like I said, when we were married, we had a couple of foster placements in our home. And, um, you know, that was quite the learning curve for both of us and um, um, highlighted why maybe we wouldn't be married someday. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. But, you know, I, I respect, you know, him and, you know, what he, you know, what matters to him. But um, in that process, then, we um, ended up meeting our son, not through the foster care system. We ended up meeting our son because we were foster parents and uh, my son's biological mom needed a home for him. She couldn't parent him anymore. And a friend of a friend of ours um, ended up contacting us saying, you know, there's this mom, she can't find an adoptive family. Would you guys consider? And adoption really wasn't on, on the plan. The plan was to help a kid until their parents were ready to take them back and then help another kid, you know, just do, do that. <laughs> the plan wasn't to add to the family, but um, when we met him, we just fell in love with him and decided to invite him into our home. But he was five at the time. And at that point had experienced a substantial amount of trauma and neglect and had really clear signs of attachment difficulties. And um, so um, what I knew about trauma and attachment was get him in therapy and get a specialist who specializes in trauma and attachment. Don't just send him to any old therapist. And so working where I work, where I work in a behavioral health clinic and the autism work that I do, I had access to like the best resources, right? So I got my son in every therapy and, you know, intensive day treatment programs. I got him a, you know, medication management, like everything. I was doing everything that every resource was telling me, like, you know, try this, try this, try this. So I was hyper-focused on getting him everything that he needed and was putting no focus on how to help myself keep my head in the game. 
when things were really hard, you know, not only was, um, uh, was he was already kind of naturally angry because I was the new mom in the situation, right. And his biological mom had left him and he couldn't take it out on her. And so kind of right away, you know, we had a brief honeymoon period for those first couple of months, but then after that, I mean, I was just the brunt of it and he, he was just really angry at me. And, um, which, you know, like his therapist would say, like, you know, just tell him how much you love him. Make sure he knows you're never going to leave him. Make sure, you know, it was very like, like intellectual, the things that he was telling me, like, just make sure he knows you love him. Just make sure. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. (laughs) You know, but it wears on you over years and years and years of hearing, you know, the same, the same script over and over again. And then, you know, so we we bring this traumatized child into our home and we promise him a loving home and then we get divorced, you know, a year or so later, which then just resurfaced all of his trauma. And I, I knew it would, but I knew I had to do it um, for the sake of my kids. But that resurfaced everything. And then and then to have that disconnect, right? My husband and I were no longer even close to being on the same page. And it just, I mean, it just exponentially made everything that much harder. And so I'm still taking him to therapy, but then, you know, there was a disagreement about, you know, whether or not our son needed that, but I'm just like doing all the things, right? But I wasn't doing anything to keep my head in the game. I was just like forcing myself, like, just keep letting him know you love him. Just keep letting you know him, love you love him no matter what. Just keep letting him know you're never going to leave him. And yeah, after years and years of it, it just got really, really hard. Um, and you know, the like, like even knowing how to have a good divorce, I didn't, I didn't know how to do that either. So, um, I'm not, I don't, I mean, to be quite honest, I don't have a great relationship with my son right now. I, um, I ended up getting involved in coaching about a year ago for myself and, have done so much work on myself that I'm in such a better place to start working on my relationship with him. But he's 17 right now. And he, um, he has chosen to live primarily with his dad. And so I don't, I don't see him a ton, um, or hardly at all, really. And so it's, you know, it's something that I want to work on in the future, if that's something that interests him. But so So (laughs) I know that mindset work has made a huge difference in my other relationships in the way that I show up, you know, at work, the way I show up, you know, with my daughter who has a new baby, the way I show up in my relationship with the guy that's in my life in ways that I didn't know how to do before. And so, so seeing that in myself and like seeing that shift that's happened, I quickly realized as I was learning how to take control of my mindset, I quickly realized that, holy cow, that's what I needed 10 years ago when I was promising my son, like, I love you. I love you. I'm here for you no matter what. But those were um, like, when I look back, those were me just saying, like the therapist said, I need to say, (laughs) I'm here for you. I love you. I'm doing everything I can. But what I really needed was to actually believe in myself and to know how to do that. And I, I didn't. And I, um, and so I know that my circumstance isn't unique. I know that um, lots of foster parents out there, adoptive parents are raising children who are um, pushing 
not not pushing, I don't mean that in a bad way, but testing parents in a way that they don't know how to keep their head in the game. And so I'm really on a mission to help other parents do that. So that's kind of how I got into coaching. I'm not sure if that answers the question you asked me, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at is um, I'm doing work on me to show up as a different, you know, a better version of me. And, and I want to help other parents do the same. Yeah. Um, so I, anybody who's listened to, uh, to this podcast for very long has, has heard me or Amanda talk about her childhood. So Amanda came up in a house where, where drugs were kind of a thing. And by that, I mean, like it was a product that, that moved to the house that she grew up in. She had lots and lots of traumatic experiences as a kid who grew up in a place that was not psychologically, physically, emotionally safe in any way, shape or form. And so today she has lots and lots of trauma issues that come all the way back from her childhood. And she'll tell you that the thing is, is that sometimes, you know, we all have our, our traumas from our childhood, from our life somewhere, from, from having dealt with things as a parent or an adult that, that can be really difficult. And then, and then you bring these kids into your house who have lots and lots of trauma. Right. And so it all kind of gets dumped out on the floor and, and it turned into this ginormous goulash of craziness. And then we, we all have to, to work together to get through this together. And so my question to you would really be, how do you begin to sort that out when you're, when you're working with kids who have lots of trauma and you as an adult probably have your own level of trauma from the past? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you had said earlier, children in particular who have experienced trauma, I agree with you. I feel so strongly that therapy is essential. They have experienced things in their life that, you know, a trained therapist can really help them to work through those things and kind of package that up. But then in, um, in working with a mindset coach, really the primary focus of a mindset coach is to say, okay, so the, the past happened and it may have been awful, um, something that many people couldn't even imagine living through, but the past is the past. And so mindset coaching says, okay, here's, here's what we have today. Today, you know, you, you have, you know, a loving mom and dad, and how do you want the future to look? Because we don't have to let the past dictate our future and to really learn how to how to embrace that and create your future as opposed to constantly like, you know, getting stuck in the hamster wheel of, okay, this is how I always respond to my kids, or this is how I always um, respond to certain situations. And so, so in thinking about um, working on your mindset, it really does start with the parents because um, although, you know, like in their late teen years, when children are at that higher cognitive level, they can start making decisions to work on those things. But, but really, um, you know, my, my thought on all of this is when parents are able to look at life from today is today and let's create tomorrow in the future in the next 10 years and, you know, the rest of our life in a, in a positive, loving, connected way. When, when parents learn how to show up that way and not be so reactive to what's happening in the moment, then they are um, showing up for their kids in a way that that shows their children how to respond differently to challenging situations also, right? Like our kids are always watching us. They're watching everything we do. And um, 
I mean, my personal experience with kids who have experienced trauma are watching even more closely than, than um, like my biological daughter. She's, you know, she's watching, but my son who has experienced trauma, he was watching 100% of the time, every little detail, he, he knew everything. And so, so when we're able to like really change our habitual ways of thinking and feeling and showing up, that's when then we are having a ripple effect on our kids. You know, when we're showing up differently, we're showing them how to show up differently as well. So I, you know, the impact on kids is less direct, but it, because it really starts with us as the parents, you know, to show them, to show them that they don't have to be a victim to their circumstances. And even if the circumstances just, you know, like, I don't know, you know, maybe I got a crummy teacher at school, you know, you don't have to be a victim to that, right? Like you can, you know, take extra time to study to be even better or, you know, like, I think we're all kind of habitually trained to be victim to, you know, I don't have enough time or I, you, you know, got this crummy teacher or I'm in a crummy mar uh, marriage that I don't like, or my kids are behavioral, right? Like it's so easy to just feel victim to that as opposed to just taking charge and um, creating the future that you want. You know, I, um, <clears throat> I'm in a dad's group that I talk about quite a bit on here. Um, and I don't know if I ever really mentioned the name of it. If anybody's interested, um, if you go look up the dad's edge, it's a, uh, a podcast and it's all about being a dad. And, um, and he's got a, a mastermind group that I'm a part of. I'm actually in the leadership. I've been in the group for many years now and, and I've learned a couple things in there. And one of them is, um, a guy who used to be in the group, he used to say all the time, don't worry, your kids really don't listen to you anyways, but you should worry because they're watching everything. And I see that in my own kids all the time, because mm -hmm. what makes me the most crazy about my kids, the things that they do that bother me the most are the things that remind me of me where I'm screwing up. And I'm like, no, yep. you don't get to make this mistake. I've already made it. You've got to learn from my mistakes. And it makes me crazy when they make the same mistakes that I do. And I get so turned, you know, so, so upset by that. And I find those are the things that they tend to trigger me off into my own little amygdala response over here. And, and I'm tempted to raise the voice and try and pull out the dad voice because a dad voice is wildly useful when there's a kid running towards the street, when there's a, you know, a big noise in the room and you need to get your kid's attention. It's really useful for that, those moments. But when you're trying to, to correct a behavior, when you're trying to, to solve an issue occurring in the moment, it almost always leads to their little ears actually turning off. It's like, you can see, you yeah. can see the ear just turn off and they, they don't hear you anymore. Like, yeah, I'm not listening to him. He's just, he's just going to holler and scream. I'm going to ignore that. And that's, that's why my, my book that I have not written on paper just in my head is already titled. It's, it's the title of it is nobody hears you when you yell, because that's the truth of when it comes to kids, the more you yell, so the less they hear. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's really, really useful to realize that when it comes to comes to dealing with kids and in order to handle that you do have to have your own stuff processed and, and work through a bit and i think that's something that they don't in my experience you know so i can't talk about the whole nation or, or every county's program but i don't know that they that they they put enough emphasis on that and a lot of times when it comes to becoming a foster parent you're going to see trauma big trauma kids who've who've seen drugs been exposed to drugs violence uh all kinds of horrible stuff and you need to kind of have your own stuff worked out a bit to be able to be effective in helping them regulate themselves when, when this stuff goes nuts. I've got a friend of mine who's, who's currently, you know, taking care of, um, it's, uh, 
it's a foster type placement kinship. I'm not certain exactly how it works, but I know that's something that, that, you know, that that's a struggle for them understanding. Hey, when I tell my, when I look at my daughter and I raise my voice a little bit, like she snaps too and pays attention. She knows to pay attention. These girls, like, like they don't hear me when I am. Yeah, I get it. Like it doesn't make sense. I know, but it does make sense. You just haven't had enough experience to know why that makes sense yet. I think that's something that as, as foster parents, we really could use some, some help in realizing that their brains are fundamentally different. Yeah. 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 And you know, like I, um, I remember when my son was younger, his therapist would, you know, frequently remind me that his behaviors are a reflection of his trauma. And so intellectually, I knew that as he was, you know, screaming, yelling, swinging, throwing, you know, whatever was, or some of the, um, other things that I think a lot of people don't talk about the peeing and food hoarding and, you know, things like that aren't talked about as much, but, you know, as all of those things are happening, like, you know, in the frontal lobe, I'm like, this is just a reflection of his trauma. This is just a reflection of his trauma. But, you know, again, like as parents were human too, and it was hard to, to really believe that and to show up in a way that he, you know, like we all have energy, you know, and I know now that I'm aware of that, that, you know, like you think about, I don't know, like you have a disagreement with your spouse, right? And you can like feel that gross energy, like down in your stomach versus like when you get really good news and you can like feel that really light energy. And I now know looking back that even though my son was doing something that was pretty atrocious, right? And I would go in there and I'm like, I still love you, buddy. Like, you know, it's, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I would just like say that over and over again. And so I felt like in the moment, like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I now look back and think like, I think in my gut though, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, how could he do this? You know? So I didn't really believe myself because I didn't know how, but I now know that, um, that way that I was showing up really had an impact on him because I think kids who have experienced trauma are so much more intuitive than um, than we realize or than many people realize. And so, I mean, he was probably just calling my bluff, right? Like, okay, I hear you, mom, but I can tell that you are not loving me as much as maybe I want you to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We you know everybody understands that we're all physical beings. And as adults, we all like to think we're intellectual beings. And we forget that there's a spiritual and emotional, you know, part of ourselves as well, that, that kids, especially kids of trauma really read that well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I go back, yeah. I remember one particular little guy who, who stayed with us for like a year and a half. We, we became pretty close. And when we were in public, I mean, if you had, had littered or something, he seemed to be able to just pick up something on you that, that made him think, I don't, I don't think I like, like he, he was really in tune with who the people around him were. And I've come to learn that that's the hypervigilance of a kid of trauma. Who's always looking for danger, always looking for something. If you feel guilty about something, he knows it. And uh, I think he was almost five when, when they left our house, if I remember correctly, he did not yet have the language to be able to say that, you know, he, he just knew what he felt. And as yeah. adults, sometimes it's really hard to read that and understand what you're seeing in a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, 
I remember over the years, my son would often ask me, why are you mad, mom? And I felt like I was doing such a good job of faking it, right? You know, where I'd like, you know, we're going to the grocery store and come on, we got things to do. And I thought like, I'm doing the things the mom is supposed to do. But inside, I might have still been holding on to a grudge about something that had happened earlier. And I didn't think that I was. But I, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times he'd say, mom, why are you mad? And I'm like, I'm not mad. Why do you think I'm mad? And I would almost get irritated. Like, why does he keep asking me? Like, is he trying to like convince me to be mad? You know, like somehow like this child is trying to do something, you know, but we all like get in our own head about things. But now, now that I, you know, have learned um, what I've learned about the mindset, I think like, oh man, like he knew. (laughs) And then he didn't trust my words, right? Because, you know, he knew that something was going on with me. And I'm like, I'm not mad. So then he's like, okay, so she's feeling mad. I know she is, but she's lying to me right now about it. And so I think just those little things too, I think just over time just made our, our connection harder and harder and harder because I didn't, I didn't know how to work on myself. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time, um, one of my little guys came into the office here and he, he we were talking about something. He he just breaks into tears. I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? He's like, you're angry. I said, I'm not angry, man. What what do you mean? He says, no, you're angry. I'm like, I'm not angry. What what, what do you mean? And he, and, he, and he looks at me and he puts his hands on his eyebrows and shoves them together and goes, your eyebrows go like this when you're angry and they look like that now. So you're angry. And I'm like, Oh, I forgot to turn my face on, bud. Sorry. Like this is, I don't, I don't have a terribly expressive face typically. So I have, I have my, like the world is normal face. And then I have my, I'm thinking I'm angry. Uh, look out some that, that those are all really similar faces for me. And I don't, ex- I'm not really expressive in that way. And it's something that, that really was difficult for him to comprehend. And I've had to really try to work on, on how to change that because as far as he's concerned, he's reading basically two emotions. One is just kind of status quo, everything's okay. And the other one is things are not okay. And if I don't have, if I don't have my emotions turned on on my face, then he thinks everything is, is going sideways. I'm like, man, this yeah. is so interesting. That's why I love the child psychology thing. You know, in, in oh, a different yeah. lifetime, I, I kind of wish I would have had the experience to, uh, to go to school and, and take some of those classes and really understand that a bit deeper and more, I, I jokingly tell people, I, I have a PhD in child psychology. It's it's entirely exper- experiential degree. Um, <laughs> it's written in my, my PhD is written in crayon. I hang it on the wall over here. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's an experiential PhD because these kids have taught me so much about what I thought I knew and how wrong I was. Yeah. Oh, so true. So yeah, that's that's really been been a, a challenge. So I know we talked a little bit before we got going, and you said that you know you you are working as a as a mindset coach now, yeah, and, and and working with uh with with parents who are either foster or adoptive, a lot a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, what what does that look like for you right now? What are you doing? Yeah, so um, I in particular I um I work with parents who are raising emotionally intense children. So if you're a foster or adoptive parent, that's you, right? <laughs> Um, But it does also include parents who maybe don't, um, maybe it is your biological child and you don't have an explanation for why maybe, you know, they have big meltdowns or whatever it might be. But I definitely felt a calling to, to help parents not struggle and not feel victim to their child's behaviors. You know, like I said, I, um, 
I didn't know about any of this when my son was younger and when I was actively involved in his life and raising him. And man, if I knew then, I would have just shown up so differently. And so I know that there are parents out there who are really hurting or are feeling just lost or victim because I know throughout the years, I definitely felt victim. You know, we, you know, we would cancel vacations or cancel dinner plans or, you know, just feel kind of stuck in our home because of my son's behaviors, or that's what I thought at the time. But I know that there's a different way to do it. And I know that I know that mindset coaching can have such a drastic impact and a permanent impact on parents' lives. So I, um, first and foremost, I have a group, it's called Connected Parents with Angie. And in that group, I do a weekly training on topics. Um, I, I, It's a mix of topics, kind of what I see is coming up that particular week. And so, for example, like last week, the training was all about overwhelm because parents are feeling overwhelmed as the holidays are coming and, you know, the days are getting shorter and all of those things are really impacting our kids, but also impacting us. And so the training is all about how to really like take control of overwhelm and to um, really understand that overwhelm is a story in your mind, which probably sounds pretty wild, but it's so true. So anyways, um, but I've done trainings on things like um, feeding issues or um how trauma impacts language. So a whole slew of things that come from my expertise being a speech pathologist and working in an autism clinic for, you know, um, almost half of my life uh, and all of the things that I've learned about trauma and attachment. So I do trainings in there, also some mindset stuff in there. But then, um, but then I also have a coaching practice where I work with parents. So I do offer a free session. And I think that Jason's going to put in the show notes the um, my Calendly link so that um, you can sign up for a free session. But in that free session, we go through this really powerful exercise to help you, you know, see where you're at and see how to start making some changes so that you're not feeling so overwhelmed. You're not feeling like a victim and you can really start taking control of your life. And it really all starts with you. I know, like I said, in my experience, all of the experts were telling me my son needs more treatment. My son needs this specialty. My son needs that specialty. But none of none of what I was hearing, you know, I had a couple of people say like, maybe you should see a therapist. And I tried it and that was not for me. <laughs> because not that I don't necessarily have things from my past to work through, but I would show up to the therapy sessions thinking like, I don't have things in the past to work through. I'm dealing with behaviors in my house every day. That's what I need help with. But that's not where the therapy was focusing. I really needed somebody to guide me to, okay, this is what's happening. How can you show up differently? How can you create the future that you want with your kids? How can you be more connected with your son? So um, so I do um, work with parents one-on-one -on -one, um, as a mindset coach, and it is life changing so and I'm loving it so so much so so there's that oh um I'm also on Instagram too same thing as my Facebook group on Instagram it's connected parents with Angie so that's a place to find me too well that's great yeah because I mean quite frankly that's one of the things as we start into this whole process you know what almost 15 years ago yeah I think wow. we're, we're about the 15 years ago where we we started in into the foster system and started working with kids I mean, I had no trauma. My wife had some, but you know, she'd worked through it. And then all these kids show up with all these things. And 
And it's funny, they they find the buttons that you didn't even know were still there. <laughs> yep. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but <laughs> like uh, the buttons are being pushed. You're like, wait a second. Why am I showing up this way? Why do I look like this loud, angry guy half the time? I don't like this. And it took a while. And, you know, fortunately for me along this journey, I also found myself involved with the dad's group that, you know, a little, a few years back. And that's where I have begun to to tap into some resources. You know, one of the guys in that particular group was, um, he was, I'm going to get it wrong. Something like the, the lead psychologist for one of the, uh, the highest level children's detention facilities in, in the state he lived in something like that. So this guy's seen, seen some stuff, you know, he saw a kid literally punch his way through a wall, like a metal wall. Um, and so, so he's dealt with some stuff and he was able to offer me a few things and, and talking to parents and, and a lot of it really was, wasn't that they had a lot of knowledge and, Oh, here's the magic solve. You just do this and everything's solved. But it was yeah. understanding that, that I was bringing my own stuff into the situation and I wasn't showing up as the best of me because I hadn't dealt with some of it and I had to figure that out. And that was yeah. a big challenge. Yeah. It's never fun when somebody tells you you're not, you're not, you know, as awesome as you think you are. Yeah. Yeah. When I thought too, you know, like working in the autism field for so many years, like I thought I could handle some of the most challenging behaviors without really skipping a beat. It's just what I do every day at work. This will be easy. And not that I expected it to be like, like, uh, you know, a walk in the park kind of easy, but I thought I am well equipped to handle this, but it is different when it's in your own home, for sure. <laughs> you know, what you do at work um, doesn't always translate to home, but yeah, it was at a whole different level of challenging, I feel like, because yeah, you're right. It brings up your own um, your own past things that maybe you thought you had worked through. And I mean, it, you know, I think a lot of people talk about that secondary trauma, right? Like you're in a situation every day where it's, um, it can be really, really challenging in the moments every day. And then you wake up the next day and it's the same thing all over again. Yeah. We had that situation with one particular kid and, and man, that was a real challenge for a while. And quite frankly, it was the professional help that we ended up seeking out that, that allowed me to, to still show up even when it didn't fix the problem. And that was a lot of what I had to learn was that I, I can do all the stuff right. And that doesn't mean I'm going to fix the problem. And as a guy, I'm a fixer. That's what we do. You have a problem. Oh, I'll solve it. You know, I, look out. I've, I'm here with a fix. I've got the duct tape and the hammer, and I don't care what your problem is. I'm going to solve it with my two tools over here. And it didn't work that way very well for me. And it took me a while to, to understand how to, how to work through that. And then to understand sometimes that, yeah, I, I, I can do my work and it's still going to go sideways in my house from time to time. And I can't, I can't stop that. I just have to deal with it. And that was yeah. a whole next level of figuring things out is that sometimes you just have to deal with the problems because you are bringing kids into your home who sometimes have been through incredible traumatic things. You know, kids who've dealt with the death of parents who've, who've been in homes where they were exposed to drugs, kids who, who were born addicted to drugs, kids who've seen domestic violence, you know, the whole nine yards and, you know, and, and all of that, you know, pretty much can, can almost be entirely summed up in just my wife's life. And I go, oh, well, no wonder we still deal with things like, like we're not perfect quite yet, almost, almost, but not quite perfect yet. And it's a good thing she's not here. She'd be smacking me right now. <laughs> But, but yeah, that's, that's such a struggle. So I love that you're helping parents understand this stuff because this, there was nobody there when we started this stuff to help us with that. 
There was nobody there to tell us that not only is this a thing, this is really normal. This just means you're human. You're, you're yeah. not, you're not, a, a, you're not Superman and that's, that's okay. And, and then it took a ball for me to understand that, but to have somebody to reach out to, to talk to, to deal with this stuff on a one-to-one -one basis, sounds like it would have been something I would have loved to have had back in the day. So me too. Uh, <laughs> isn't that, isn't that amazing how we oftentimes become the solution for the problems that we didn't have, you know, yeah. we become the, the solver of the issues that, uh, that, that plagued our, our life. So I was so glad to have you talk about this here today, Angie. And I, I would love to, uh, to be able to, to, uh, send some people your way who might be looking for something like this, because even if you're not a foster or adoptive parent, you still have some of these things in your life, right? Yeah. You know, I know you mentioned that earlier and that's, that's one of those things we have to learn and we have to be, be intentional about understanding because I still have plenty of friends in my life who, who aren't involved at all in the foster or the, you know, the adoptive world, but are new parents and they don't, they don't get it a lot of times. Turns out, I think I was the same way too. When I first had kids, I thought I knew it all. And it wasn't until I had toddlers that I started to learn how much I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even, you know, um, between the impact that social media has on parenting today, um, that's just wild. You know, just that comparison, you know, parents comparing their their children's, you know, lives to other people's lives, what they think is real, but it's really just social media or the impact that the pandemic has had on children's development, too. I mean, they're just so many. Um, I just working in birth to three, so many more interactions with parents where their kiddos are having sensory processing issues because they haven't left the house, right? They're three years old and they've never even been to Walmart. And I wasn't a fan of Walmart before, but there's something to be said for your child to like have that experience where, you know, the lights and the sounds and the people and the smells and everything that happens there, right? All these babies are being raised without those experiences. And so then their parents finally take them out and they you know, have a meltdown. Well, I understand why. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so many of us did not understand why when it all first started happening, but you know, nowadays I, I look at it and I know that here where I live, I'm, I'm in kind of mid Missouri area. And even at the height of the pandemic, you know, Missouri is the show me state. Most folks out here were, were not very big believers in it. We're also not a highly populated area. So, so it didn't affect us as much here, but I know when you get into the higher population centers where they did need to take it a lot more serious, that that was a big thing. That was yeah. big for a lot of families. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I just want to thank you again, Angie, for, for showing up here and, and sharing some part of your story and, um, and like I said, we'll make certain that we have this, this stuff in the uh, podcast link of uh, the player links down below this or over on a website at fostercarenation.com to where people can find you. And, um, I'll try and make certain that your calendar link gets in there. And I think we have your email, I'll put that in there and a link to your Facebook and, and Instagram group. That way people can reach you if they're struggling with this stuff and, and begin to a journey of, of, of healing on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you had me on. This was so great. And yeah, you know, I hope that parents out there got a little bit of nugget of, you know, something that they could change too. Absolutely. Okay. Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Angie's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. 
Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything on the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled <laughs> Studios. Studios. <laughs>